0: This talk was given by Linda Shinji Hoffman at Zen Mountain Monastery. Shinji is a senior lay student in the mountains and rivers order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at ZMM.org. Thanks for listening. Good afternoon. My name is Shinji. I'm a lay senior. There are two wrathful warriors who defend the entrance to Buddhist temples in Japan. They stand on each side of massive gates. They're among the most powerful and oldest of the Mahayana Bodhisattvas. They are protector deities. They scared me the first time I saw them. Entering here for the first time, we don't have big scary statues outside, but it's still intimidating. For this talk, I'm going to call those two wrathful figures, dependent. Origination. Dependent here, origination. They always stand together, those two words, sometimes dependent arising. I am just learning. I am studying this dependent origination. But I feel like it's what turned my whole mind upside down. And that's why it's so scary, really, to enter those gates. Nargajuna, the great Indian Buddhist teacher and philosopher from the second century, said, the dependent arising is what is profound and cherished in the treasury of the conqueror's teaching. So conqueror, he's referring to the Buddha. And this is a teaching that is difficult and important for all Buddhist practitioners. So some of you know I live on a farm. And when I learned that the Buddha explained this teaching on dependent arising using a rice seedling? I was pretty interested. The Buddha looked at a rice seedling, and then he said, monks, he, and we can say she or they, who sees dependent arising, sees the Dharma. They who see the Dharma see the Buddha. So this is all on seeing a rice seedling. That's, that's the Buddha's message. It's, it's short. Shariputra, upon hearing this, went off to find Maitreya and asked him, what is the meaning of that sutra spoken by the sugata, another word for the Buddha, after looking at a rice seedling? So what is this dependent arising? And how does one see the Dharma if one sees dependent arising? And how does one see the Buddha if one sees the Dharma? So many questions. Maitreya began by answering, because this arose, that arises. This is dependent arising. Very. Simply said, straightforward. So the Buddha saw a rice seedling and said he saw dependent arising. So let's try to figure out what he did see. So we're just going to look at a seedling for a moment, right? We have a seed. The soil is fertile. It's spring. It has compost. There's warmth. There's moisture in the soil. All four elements are there. Air, earth, fire, water, and um, time, say, the season. So those are the external conditions. And then the seed has internal conditions. That seed has the potential to become a sprout. Inside that tiny seed, are two seed leaves. They come packaged right in there. I mean, folded up so tightly, you can't imagine that they actually can unfold and grow and photosynthesize. The seed only needs to crack open. And there they are, two tiny leaves on the tiniest of stem, and then the stem grows, and the seeds grow, the, the leaves grow, and more leaves appear, and this stem is growing taller and taller. So where did all these other leaves come from? How can they grow? They didn't arrive like in that seed package. They are dependent on the seed, but they are not the seed. By the time the stem and leaves are all growing, the seed has long disappeared. And if we follow the growth of our plant, the seed is not the stalk, the stalk is not the bud, a blossom is not a fruit. But it all happens in this truly beautiful and astonishing progression. It is a chain of dependently arising events, each one dependent on the one before. But nothing really continues from what came before. And even more amazing. The apple seed produces an apple tree that produces an apple blossom, and that produces apple fruit with apple seeds in its ovary. And a tomato seed produces a tomato plant, and tomato flowers, and tomato fruits. So there is this stability through time. Yet there is nothing that has any intrinsic self. Each part is dependent on what came before, but it is not what came before. But leave a part out, and it doesn't work. Break off the stalk, the plant will not produce a seed. And if I'm in a hurry when I plant the seed and I don't prepare the soil well, it doesn't grow. Or if I'm really tired after a long day, and I don't water the seed, it just folds up and dies. I'm creating, in that case, causes and conditions that will affect the life of that seedling, because this arose that arises. Now Maitreya, in answering Shariputra, described the 12 links in a chain beginning with ignorance. Dependent on ignorance, conditioning factors occur, sometimes called fabrications, the the objects that we impute reality to. And then, depending on conditioning factors, consciousness. And dependent on consciousness, name and form. And dependent on name and form, the sixth sense faculties, and so on. Like We don't have to memorize all of that. But contact grows from then feeling, and craving, and clinging, and grasping, becoming, until aging, and death, and sorrow, and lamentation. Misery, unhappiness, the whole heap of our suffering. And then it all leads to the next birth. So this is often depicted as a wheel. And the Buddha is up in that left upper corner, free from the chain, his karma exhausted. The chain begins with our ignorance of the Four Noble Truths that set in motion a sequence that leads to all forms of suffering. Each condition determines the arising of the next condition, and it can happen in a split second or over many lifetimes. So I used to teach um, in prison, uh, a men's prison, Massachusetts, a course called Houses of Healing. And one of the exercises that the men did was a timeline of their life. And the ones like, who, who really took it on, they would go around the whole room on every blackboard, and they would list out sort of the beatings the abuse that led to stealing, or getting into fights, and more abuse from parents, and doing poorly in school. I remember one man who described his new bicycle, and it was stolen. And he went home, and, and in, instead of any sympathy, received a beating. So it was this whole sequence of events that led to, and most of these men were in for second-degree murder, so unpremeditated, just an explosion from the causes and conditions that had piled and piled up. We need wisdom to see what is causing our suffering and how we can put an end to it. And we know if we're causing suffering for ourselves, we're causing suffering for others. Understanding dependent arising can help us. So just one more example that's easy to, to see that something is not really in existence. So if you think of a rainbow. It appears. It's so beautiful. We love it. But it's just causes and conditions. The the water, the light coming a certain way, refracting. And we appreciate it so much. But we don't look at it and say, oh, I want it to last. It's not going to last. And we're fine with that. It's the same thing with everything that arises, including the self, dependent on causes and conditions and this whole chain of cravings and aggregates that produce karmic seeds. Because we're also born with karmic propensities. We aren't just like a clean slate. Some of us have strong, Resistance to disease. Some of us might be weak. No different from seeds in a seed package. Right on the packet, it says 80% germination or 60% germination. And the farmer knows, spread it more sparingly or densely. Human beings aren't any different. Think of infant mortality rates before the development of health care causes, and conditions. And then we have genes, right, that are passed on over generations. For example, in Ashkenazic Jews, there's this gene called the BRCA gene mutation that causes those who have it to be much more likely to develop five types of cancers. And I recently found out I was diagnosed with it. And it has given me like really good opportunity to ponder karma, generational karma, and how to respond. We all have karma we're born with, and then this leads to the karma we create. So in this case, others may have this gene mutation or may not have it. I can see them as fortunate. If they don't, I can be happy for them, or I could be jealous of them. I can be sad for myself and for the next generation of children in my family. Or I can be proactive. We all have things we carry, and they're all different. If I think of the men I taught in prison, I certainly don't condone that behavior that's harming others, but I can see in studying this chain of dependent arising that the little boy who was, became this grown man standing in front of me in his 30s or 40s in many ways had very little to do with what happened. And this person can learn in studying their own history and taking responsibility. That's why that course is called Houses of Healing, so prison as a house of healing. And they can learn to transform the bad seeds that were planted, that they inherited, and then the bad karma that they continued to create. We come into this world a product of causes and conditions that started with our parents and likely long before that. So how do we break out of this chain? How do we enter that gate protected by those two fierce deities? How do we stop causing suffering for ourselves and others? This Buddhist path, is about freedom, and freedom is not causing harm. Doing good, actualizing good for others. The Buddha in the picture of the wheel is not part of the chain, because over many lifetimes, he stopped creating karma. He stopped adding to the seeds in the storehouse that Create attachments and desires in the future so let me give you like a little example that happened to me um, a couple weeks ago, and a way like how do we actually stop this chain as if it's just like on the, the train that, you know, what do you do? Okay, I'm here, and I'm just like, uh, causing suffering. So um, I was in the kitchen the other night um, preparing dinner, and um, my partner was there, um, and the phone rang. So there was a person who called my phone, and it was late, um, and he called. So this is a, someone who um, had asked, an old friend, If he could work one afternoon, on Wednesday afternoon, then have dinner and stay overnight and then actually meditate in the morning with us on Thursday morning and then have breakfast and then work half day. So he would have one day of work and he would be paid for it. So he called up and he said... um, uh, Linda, he said, um, I invited my grandson to, um, to, to come over, to, to spend the day, you know, kind of hang out at the farm. And like, I was like, what? Like, I said to him, well, didn't you, didn't you think of like asking first before you invited him? And he said, well, I'm asking now. Thank you, right? And I, I just like felt this constricting in my body, and something was building, and um, I was clearly triggered. All I could think about were like all the things he has a meeting he goes to at seven, and I would probably have to entertain his grandson, and then um, make sure there was enough food, and you know all this. As Hojin sensei talked about proliferation on and on. And so then I thought something to like ask him. So I said, Well, is he gonna sleep with you? Because, you know, if he isn't, then I have to make like prepare another room, make a bed, like, and then the next day when it's finished, make the bed again. And I mean, I just was like, and so I said to him, Well, is he gonna sleep with you? And he said, no, I think it'd be better for him to have his own room. And like, I was surprised, like, at, you know, he clearly heard my negativity, but he didn't back off. So I said, all right, I will ask Blaze, my um, partner. I wasn't gonna give him a no. I couldn't give him a no. And so, I added, I actually said, you know, I, I'm working on my boundaries, and it's really hard for me to say no. But he didn't back off, and so um, I hung up, you know, okay, I'll talk to Blaise. Blaze was there, he heard the whole thing. He wasn't attached, he wasn't triggered, so it didn't really matter to him, and so he said, Tell him no. All right. I, so I said, OK, will you tell him? Will you tell him no? And, and then I knew, like, Blaze Well, yeah, you know, he'll take his time. And I was like, will you tell him now? And he did. He told him right away. Um, and then, so that was, that was over. But then we sat down to have dinner and started talking about it. And I was like, wow, was I right or wrong? Or what, what just happened to me? And um, Blaze looked at me, and he said, you got really triggered. What was that about? And I, like, ah, oh, I pulled back, right? Um, I, like, sunk into my body. Um, and um, I said, I felt, I felt like I was being taken advantage of. And then he continued. He said, um, "Who was it?" I was like a little shocked, but, but his questioning, like, kept me in my body and in my. Feelings. And I realized that I didn't need to go into a story. I didn't even need to like think of or remember like the specifics of that feeling because I knew like I had touched something real and it wasn't outside, like it wasn't from that phone call, right? what i touched was inside me like gokhan said in his talk last sunday i can only make change in my body and i affect the world through my thoughts and actions i touched some contact point in my body so in that chain, there's contact. And feelings arise. And I could see it. I could see it so clearly. And I felt like I could just pull it out, like I pull a weed out of the carrot row. So we don't have access to like all those links in that chain, right, Rakusan told us we are going to get old and sick and die. Like, there's no, there's no changing that. But there are places where we can make those changes. So how do we do it, actually? So remember that sutra? They who see dependent arising see the dharma. So Maitreya answered Shariputra's question, what is the dharma? He said, it's the noble eightfold path, namely right view, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, Right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. In the Four Noble Truths, right, that's one of them. There is a way out, and it is the Eightfold Path. And so this is the Dharma, a skillful way to walk in the world if we don't want to cause suffering. It's a map. And this is how we create good karma. So I found this interesting picture of dependent arising. Like, usually, it's just the one with all this suffering, starting with ignorance. But the one I found says dependent arising up top. And on the left is the flood dependent origination that goes through ignorance and contact and feelings all the way, age and death. And on the other side is the raft, the Noble Eightfold Path. So the flood and the raft. And I thought that was beautiful. And the raft with the eightfold, Noble Eightfold Path has faith and contentment and rapture and calmness, bliss, samadhi, wisdom, disenchantment, dispassion, deliverance, cessation, nirvana, unbinding. So I love this raft and the flood because I had always kind of felt... You know, we, you, there's a classic picture of Bodhi on a raft, and I don't know, maybe from reading Siddhartha's Herman Hess. Like, I was like, imagining you get to like you do all this work, and then you get to the river crossing, and then there you take the raft to get you right across, and then you leave it. You know, you don't need it to continue. But this picture made me feel like, okay, we're either in the flood or on the raft. And we have that choice all the time. Like you can't be both, right? You're either on the raft and you have some safety or you're in the flood of suffering and you're barely treading water. And to have this raft be the noble eightfold path just seemed perfect. So we learn, right, as we practice patience and faith and calmness and right effort. And we learn that everything matters because everything is interdependent, is dependent on causes and conditions. And most importantly, Everything we do continues to create new causes and conditions for everything else. Everything that we think of as solid and real is only just subject to causes and conditions, including me and mine. And when we break that chain and we see the causes and conditions, we just we, we stop that cycle for that moment. And we can continue to do that. And it's a way of removing the bad seeds, our bad karma, and creating good karma. Because usually, we let all those feelings grow and be real, like I was so upset from that phone call. We polish them. We water them. I'm right. I exist. I'm feeling this, and you are wrong. She is hurting me. He is lacking. We separate ourselves, and we impute something real. We forget the teaching of no self, and we get caught again and again burnishing, like polishing ourselves, this self that doesn't exist. Dividing the world into race, gender, ethnic background, right and wrong, left and right, up and down, We spend so much time doing this, trying to control what we can't control. Later, when I thought back to that experience of being triggered, I saw how it like, totally wasn't about what happened. His grandson could have come. It would have worked fine. It always does. I had created an object. I had made something solid, an object that I didn't like, that was painful to me, and I wanted to push it away. We put up the barrier. But the Buddha taught, knowing that whatever is felt, pleasure, pain, neither pleasure nor pain, within or without, is suffering. Seeing its deceptive nature, it's dissolving, it's passing away at each contact. He knows, or they know, it's right there. With the ending of feeling, there is no suffering coming into play. So we can change. We can transform. And it really is because of dependent arising that everything is workable. As we follow our vows and offer loving kindness, we load our storehouse with seeds of good karma. Our lives become easier, and we have more to offer people. And the places we live become places of refuge. And our words offer comfort. Shugan Roshi asked in one of the study talks, it was a while ago, why is loving kindness important for the development of prajna? Loving kindness is how we create seeds of good karma. He explained how insight arises when we create good karma and when we do things that get rid of negative karma. Cause and effect are mutually dependent. When we cause good in the world, the effects are always good. And we clearly see the impact we have And we hold on to our intention to do good and not harm. And we need this, we need to count on a way of behaving. And the Eightfold Path is such a teaching. The last little piece of that sutra he who sees the Dharma sees the Buddha. Maitreya said, he is called Buddha because he understands all dharmas. The Buddha understood that all dharmas are unborn, peaceful, fearless, baseless, empty, and selfless. He saw that things arise dependent on their causes, and then we give things identities, and they become objects in our mind only because we impute a concept onto their parts. Clear seeing is Buddha. We can bring peace and ease the suffering of this world as we train, as we plant seeds and water them, cultivate them and harvest and share the sweet fruits. There isn't only one Buddha. We are Buddhas. We are Buddhas when we Act with compassion when we have the wisdom to see the emptiness of all things we break through that chain of suffering just like I mean if you think of a stock right broken stock it doesn't go on that's how we can make change then we can be like the ocean accepting myriad streams. We can be like the sky accepting every cloud. We can be a lamp for others. We can walk freely. Like that meditation that the Buddha taught his son, Raula, he said, develop a meditation in tune with Earth. For when you were developing the meditation in tune with Earth, Agreeable and disagreeable sensory impressions that have arisen will not stay in charge of your mind. He said, be like the earth because people throw trash and urine and feces and saliva, and the earth does not respond. It's not disgusted. It's not humiliated. It just receives it. So that was the Buddha's teaching. And what about that pair of statues outside the Buddhist temples, those fierce, demon-looking protectors? One has an open mouth and the other a closed mouth. One makes the sound, ah for agyo, and the other mm, for ungyo. And they are the first and the last syllables in the Japanese syllabary. So they stand for beginning and end, for birth and death. So maybe those warriors are tamed when we let go of birth and death. Let go of the self who needs protection with right effort and mindfulness, with the guidance and wisdom of the Eightfold Path, and with the support of our teachers who have walked this path ahead of us. We walk the middle way. We walk through the gate, unafraid. Thank you for listening. To find out more about ZMM's programs, retreats and residency, please visit us online at zmm.org.